Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 89 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue the adventures of Sean O'Shea from Bonoiga, from his quest in southwest Ireland, all the way to the rugged coastline and forests of Norway. But first, I want to give a big welcome to any returning listeners, and a welcome indeed to any new listeners. I should say, if you are a new listener, this is a part two of a story, or even if you're a returning listener, and you haven't listened to Sean of Bonoiga, part one one which was released two weeks ago hit pause right now and go and listen to that other one because this story will not make any sense otherwise Uh, please do if you are a fan of the podcast please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard it really helps to to get an idea of uh, who is who is following the podcast and it's uh, it's the best way to get in touch with me and I love receiving each and every one of your messages so if you just want to say hello that's the best place to get me if you're not on Instagram however and you want to get in touch please do contact me via email at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or again even if you just want to say hi and if you really want to support the podcast you can do so at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast where you can join our ever growing list of very loyal benefactors no new ones for this week so I just want to give another thank you to this month's latest patrons which is Catherine Persifka Christopher and Jack thank you so much to each of you and indeed to all our other incredibly generous patrons of Fireside the Patreon model is there as a model of soundness of kindness if you can spare a few shekels to throw my way at this incredible difficult time for the world uh, and in particular for the arts Please do. If not, that is totally up to yourselves. If you're not in a position to, or if you just don't want to, that is totally fine. The Patreon is there if you want it. And But otherwise, I'm going to continue to record and release this podcast regardless, because I love it. So, to get down to the story for this week, yes, not much to talk about beforehand, because we've had the first part of this story two weeks ago. So I suppose just as a little bit of a catch-up, because we had... We had the story of the Battle of Tara last week. So in case you've been listening to this week to week, and it has been two weeks since you heard the first part of Sean Bonoga. Sean Bonoga was a... Sean O'Shea, I should say, was was from the town of Bonoga, which is in Kerry in southwest Ireland. And uh, he was from a very, very poor family. He settled down with his wife and children. 
But one day, uh, the poverty just got too much for Sean and he decided to set out on a quest to find wealth to bring home to his wife and family. This quest led him on a sea voyage where he ended up on the rugged coasts of Lachlan, which is thought to be what the ancient Celts knew as Norway. Now, in Norway... Sean O'Shea came across a rather strange house, a structure that looked more like a mushroom than any kind of building. And on the inside of this mushroom building, he found three very strange people. He found three, two brothers and a sister, all of whom were incredibly old, very thin, very emaciated and very hairy. Sean O'Shea went on a hunting trip with these with these three strangers. And on this trip, they caught themselves a giant mouse. After hunting and killing it, they then prepared a spit and began to eat the mouse, if you can imagine, uh, from which they offered it to Sean. And while he was hesitant at first, he did eventually take a bite. And once he did, Sean O'Shea realised that he knew the location of each and every piece of buried treasure in Ireland. However, when he was offered a cup of mouse soup and took a sip, he forgot all of the locations of this buried treasure. Now, Sean O'Shea was very distraught by this. But one of, his, uh, one of his hosts told him that if he did what he wanted, Sean O'Shea and his family would be rich for all their days. And having finished that previously on Fireside, here is the second part of Sean Abanoiga on Fireside. Sean Abanoiga, part two. Sean O'Shea from Bonoiga in southwest Ireland was sat at a fireside in the deep forests of Lachlan. Seated with him were his three old, spindly, hairy hosts who were about to send him on an epic quest. The elder of the brothers spoke. You must first travel home to Bonoiga. In your back garden there is a list, a fairy mound. You must go to that list with a basket of turf ready to be burned. On that fire, prepare a rack of mutton. The finer, the better. Finally, you must go armed, with a battle axe preferably, for what will ensue. Jean tried to make mental notes of all of this as the brother went on. When the mutton is cooked, the smell will draw a beast out of the list, the great cat that guards inside. I say cat, but to your eyes, Sean, it will more closely resemble a wolf. Allow the cat to eat the mutton. He will eat the lot. After this, he will grow tired. And if the turf fire is large enough, he will fall asleep beside it. This, Sean O'Shea, is where the battle axe comes in. Take that blade and cut off the cat's head. And make sure to kick it away. You don't want the head rejoining the body interjected the other brother. That actually is a very fair point, agreed the other brother. Then, Sean, once the beast is dead, you may enter the list. To the left, there is a washroom. In there you will find a razor, soap, a mirror, and a towel. You must bring each and every one of these items back to Lachlan, Sean. This is the most important thing. You cannot forget even a single item. The old man took a brief pause. Finally, opposite the washroom, there will be a flagstone with a brass ring on it. Pull the ring, and the flagstone should easily come away. Inside, you will find three jars of gold. One for your wife, one for your children, 
and one just for you. With these jars, you will escape poverty forever. But if you return here with those items, you and all your descendants will be as rich as the gods. Sean O'Shea had done well. He had remembered each and every one of these details. He asked one or two questions to clarify or confirm. And once the task was clear in his mind, Sean was ready to embark on his quest. Well, there is one thing, Sean said. What is it? I'm still as poor as I ever was. I have no money, even for the passage home. I can't ask the ship's captain to show such charity again. You will have money, Sean O'Shea. I know you were in that other shack near ours recently. Remove the flagstone and take a jar of gold from inside. Don't worry, no cat will attack you from that place, said the other brother. Sean O'Shea went to the hovel in question, and if there had been twenty of him, he could not have even budged the flagstone. He returned to the trio. I cannot move the stone. Help me up, said the old man. I will do it for you. Sean was long past doubting the claims of this mysterious bunch. He helped the old man up and guided him to the hovel. The old man moved the flagstone as if it were made of cardboard. Sean retrieved a jar of gold from inside, and he was off. Sean returned to the harbour, where the ship he had sailed on, the eight-legged dog, was still moored. At an inn close by, Sean found the ship's captain, Captain Mackey. Before the captain could refuse, Sean closed his palm around a fistful of gold and said, I told you if I found my fortune, I would repay your kindness. Take this gold, I have plenty more. But will you allow me safe passage back to Ireland? We do not sail for another few weeks. But when we do, you are always welcome. The summer passed, and when the wind and tide was with them once more, the eight-legged dog left Lachlan and sailed for Cork. When the ship had docked in the harbour, Sean said his goodbye to the captain and crew and set off for home. Before leaving Cork, Sean went to the market of the city, he bought a horse and cart and loaded it with turf, mutton and a battle-axe. Sean also bought himself a fine set of clothes. All this purchased, and there was still gold coins left in the jar. Then, without stopping, Sean rode all day and night until he had returned to the town of Bonoga. Sean's wife, Dervla, came to the door when she heard a cart making its way up the path. She thought her eyes were deceiving her. Is that my Sean? It looks like it. And it doesn't. It's some rich man who looks like my Sean. Or are you Sean visiting from beyond the grave? It's me, my love, and I'm very much alive. I've returned with gold and the promise of more to come. Dervla burst into tears. Forget the gold, you're home. Sean O'Shea had a warm and emotional reunion with his wife and children. His kids had all grown in the time he had been away. This made Sean sad, like he had missed out on so much. But he had done what he had to. They prepared the finest feast their homestead had ever known, but Sean forbade them from cooking the mutton. Why did you buy the mutton then? asked Dervla. I cannot tell you, but trust me, it's not for eating, at least not by us. Sean left his magical quest until the next evening. 
Then he took his accoutrement and went in search of the lys. He had always wondered about a certain hill on his land, thought that perhaps once upon a time it had been a fairy mound, but Sean didn't know if he believed in any of that stuff before. He certainly did now. Sean had warned his family to stay inside and not come out regardless of what they saw or heard. He promised them this was the only way to ease their worries. A fire was prepared before the list, an entire winter's worth of turf piled high. Then the mutton was rested on the side and slowly turned, cooking nicely. When the fine smell began to waft through the air, Sean made himself scarce just as well, because no sooner had he hidden behind the cart when a great black monstrous cat appeared from the shadow. So dark was this beast, it blended between its colossal shadow cast by the fire's light. The cat sniffed and devoured the mutton. Then it appeared to turn away. Sean's heart sank. What if the beast did not fall asleep by the fire? All would be lost. But Sean had bought as much turf as could be bought. The fire was high and inviting, and the beast soon curled up and fell asleep. Sean then took the battle-axe, which was keen and sharp, and tiptoed up to the sleeping cat. Lifting the axe high above his head, Sean brought the guillotine down, separating head from body with one stroke. With a great punt, Sean then kicked the head away from the body and put the axe down. The shadow on the list from which the cat had emerged now revealed itself as a door. Inside, Sean found a cave with two rooms. To the left, the washroom with all the aforementioned bathing talismans, the razor, the mirror, the soap and the towel. With great trepidation for the possible magical properties within, Sean took the items and stowed them safely on the cart. He then returned to the list and approached the flagstone. He feared he would not be able to open this door as he hadn't been able to open the one in Lachlan, but fortunately, with the right pull of the brass ring, the flagstone came away. On the other side were the three promised jars of gold each larger and more full than the one Sean had been spending. With spoils in tow, Sean O'Shea returned to his house. The next morning he showed Dervla the jars of gold. I must leave you all once more, one final time. I don't know if I'll be lucky enough to return again, but if I don't, those jars will assume none of you want for anything ever again. What more riches do we need? cried Dervla. This is more than enough. Why do you need to go and get more? It's not about wanting more, said Sean. I have a promise to honour. Were it not for this quest, we would not have the gold we have now. I have to finish what I started. Again, there was no convincing Sean, and with his cart of shaving materials he set out again for Cork Harbour. The eight-legged dog was moored in the bay, and its captain was nowhere to be found. Sean O'Shea got word of where the captain lived and went to his house. I must have passage again to Lachlan. Did you forget something? No, I have a quest to finish. We are not scheduled to return to Lachlan for another six months. Sean then emptied the jar of coins at the feet of the captain. 
Will this be enough to secure travel? The captain looked at the coins. We'll sail with the tide. Wind and tide came, and the eight-legged dog set sail for Lachlan. They arrived at the fjordic coast, and Sean O'Shea set off in search of the hovel. It was easily found. He pushed the wood of the door, and on the inside found the three old figures by the fireside, exactly how he had left them. Sean O'Shea from Bonoiga, you have returned. Did you bring the contents of the list? Sean produced the lot. The razor, the mirror, the soap, and the towel. The trio were ecstatic. Then the older brother said, Shave me, Sean O'Shea. Shave me. And so he did. Sean had never shaved another man before. Certainly not hundreds of years and thick, grey, matted hair's worth. But he got to work. Sure enough, the razor must have had magical properties because the hair came away like crepe paper and soon the old man was unrecognisable. He was not just clean-shaven, but the years had fallen away with each stroke of hair and a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed man stood before Sean O'Shea. Then the other brother piped up. Shave me, Sean O'Shea! Oh, please, shave me! And so Sean did, and the shaven specimen was even younger and more handsome than his brother. Finally, the sister, Sybil, said, Could you please find your way to shaving me, Sean O'Shea? Don't, Sean, cried one of the brothers. She didn't have one good word to say about you on your arrival, and she doesn't deserve to be clean. But Sean did anyway. After all I've been through, what harm one more shave? And Sean O'Shea shaved Sybil until the most beautiful woman Sean had ever laid eyes on was standing where the hairy old woman had been. Then the elder brother spoke again. Thank you, Sean O'Shea. We first came to Ireland with the Norsemen, whom you called the Vikings. There we buried our treasure. But when those same Vikings left Ireland, we were cursed to never be at peace until the lists had been disturbed and our gold retrieved. Hundreds of years have passed, and we have sat here waiting for you, Sean O'Shea. When you leave... You will be the richest man in Bonoiga. But before then, will you stay with us and enjoy our youth? Sean stayed with the trio for a whole year, and every day they hunted, and at night they drank and ate, and Sean told stories of hundreds of years of Norse lore. It's not known if that trio returned to Ireland with Sean, or if they still inhabit that Scandinavian countryside. But eventually, Sean O'Shea sailed one last time on the eight-legged dog and kept going until he reached home. He never left Bonoaga again, and his family are still there now. The End Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. 
My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner and I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus. And then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all. Like politics and being a child actor. If you like finding out about things, listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner. And that was part two of the epic quest of Sean O'Shea from Sean the Bono again on Fireside. And I very much hope you enjoyed it. Yes, I hope for those who were picking straight up, I hope you were able to go. This is where people who maybe binge Fireside and have been able to listen to both parts of Sean O'Shea in one day uh, might have been a bit better off. I hope my refresher course was enough because this was... I said before on this that... uh, because when I adapt the myths and the now more recent historical sagas, they are broken down into much more individual parts and that they take a couple of weeks and months to tell the whole story. I like the folktales to be really self-contained, that they only, I don't like to ever do more than a one-parter on any of the folktales. But this was the kind of story that I felt was an exception. And I only found that out while writing it. When, only when I got as far as where I ended part one did I realise, oh, there's going to be so much more. This needs two parts to tell to its full extent because I love the first part about the idea of going on this voyage and seeing this difference between the Irish and the Norwegian coastline. As I said before, it is thought, it's not actually known for sure where Lachlan was, uh, if it referred to Norway or if it referred to the Hebrides, which were the the Viking, the Viking conquered islands off the coast of Scotland, uh, quite far off the coast of Scotland now. And, but yes, because we have been dealing with, with the Viking and the Norse occupation of Ireland in these last few weeks and will be for the next few weeks as well. It felt right when I discovered this story to do this story and do it properly. And I love that. Yeah, I loved part two, but really the meat and to veg of the story, the lore and the dense, the denseness and the wonderful originality of it is all in this part two, is all in this quest for these shaving materials, for this razor and soap and towel and mirror. Those are the four the four things and it really ties in nicely to what we have been speaking about a couple of times in that this idea of uh, this idea of buried the pot the leprechaun's pot of gold at the end of a rainbow that this is supposed to have been viking and norse gold that was buried throughout the island after being pillaged and plundered from irish kingdoms and from other kingdoms from far away and that a huge amount of this Norse gold was still there after the Vikings had either left or uh, for the home or for Iceland or had been assimilated into the Irish people and became more Irish than the Irish themselves, as the saying became. So there was thought to be this huge amount of buried treasure. And where my little two cents on it comes in is that 
the Norse believed that their gods travelled via Bifrost, which was the rainbow bridge, and that's how they travelled between the worlds. And so they thought if you saw a rainbow in the sky that you were seeing were one of the gods, usually Loki or Odin, were travelling to Midgard or our world. So I think it can't be too much of a coincidence that we then have a rainbow going to the end of a pot of gold considering this pot of gold was meant to be Norse gold anyway. So my my theory is that somewhere along the line, the rainbow was originally meant to be Norse gods coming to claim back their own plunder uh, that, their, that their people, their, their Norsemen, their Vikings had pillaged and plundered for them and they were coming to reclaim it. And that somewhere along the line, the fairies, the she of Ireland, then lay claim to it themselves because underground was their territory. The underground is where the other world were and these lisses, these uh, these fairy mounds and these fairy ring forts, these are all the underground. So if you bury something underground, you are basically giving it up to the she. And so that's where we come in with these three mysterious characters who sit, occupy this hovel, that who are these? These seem to be three, you know, from the story, from the adaptation that I was doing, which is, this is from Sean O'Sullivan's uh, collection of Folktales of Ireland, which is from the, the Irish Folklore Commission. And it's uh, where I've gained got many, many of these stories at this stage. And in that story, it doesn't say for sure, you know, whether these are Irish fairies in exile but I got more the feeling that they were Norse, hence my uh, dreadful, dreadful Scandinavian accents there, I'm sure. Apologies to any potential Scandinavian listeners of this podcast. Hopefully you didn't have to switch it off and got at least to my apology. There was times uh, I have auditioned many, t- many times for the TV show Vikings, but I have never been cast in said show. So maybe the, those accents might uh, tell you why. Although what I will say is having seen episodes of Vikings I am definitely not the worst Irish person to do a Scandinavian accent not that that probably is saying much but um, I couldn't resist the the opportunity to do to have a go at some other fun accents and uh, I really like these characters I really like as they developed these two brothers and this sister particularly this uh, malevolent detail that the two brothers wanted to be shaved themselves but didn't want Sean to shave their sister, wanted her to remain old and hairy. But yes, that these were three potential fair, like Nor- Norse fairies or Norse otherworldly creatures. You know, they present- potentially could have been Einherjar, you know, who are the-, the dead Norse who died in battle and went to Valhalla. Some there's some mysterious otherworldly creatures that came to Ireland with the Viking raiders and settled with the Norsemen, and that they had buried all of their treasure here, and that this treasure became cursed, and so they were doomed to live an eternal life, growing older and older and more hairy until they could gain their plunder back. And so they needed someone who lived on this land where their treasure was to come to them and this came in the form of Sean O'Shea who they'd been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years you know the Vikings are essentially gone or assimilated into Ireland by the 10th century and usually these stories these Irish folk tales are all really from 
kind of just before and post famine. So if we're going to put a book in, we'd say the most Irish folktales are from about the years like 1840 to 1900, roughly. Uh, there are, of course, many from before, many of the myths are from before, but certainly all the folktales seem to be set around this time. Um, this is really folklore time. And in fairness, this is real folklore time across the world. This is That period is very much when the Grimm's were writing their folktales down as well in the late 1800s. So that certainly does ring true for whatever reason that was the peak time for this kind of storytelling. And so these three characters are waiting for Sean O'Shea and he comes and they have to go on this quest to shave this curse off him have you ever encountered a story where a curse had to be shaved off people and they then were happy to have Sean's family keep the gold there we also have this giant cat and as a number of weeks ago we had the episode of the cat and the rat and we were introduced to this idea of giant fairy creatures and on the first part of Sean Abanoga we had this incredible vision of this giant mouse so we've had the story of the cat and the rat and then giant cats and giant mice have returned for this story. So this obviously is a thing that does crop up of these larger than life animals uh, within the other world. And this wonderful image of this giant cat standing guard of this fairy mound trying to protect the list from, from whom we don't know. There's a huge amount of mystery still in. And that's, I do like that. And I like leaving a huge amount of that up to both my imagination and indeed the listeners and the listeners imagination is as valid if not more valid than mine and so i sometimes when i'm adapting these will cast my own speculation on them but oftentimes i find it's it's much more fun and much more interesting just to leave it up to yourselves i'm just looking through now and trying to think of is there anything else worth saying about this we have this three yes and this no, I mean, we've talked about all the, the major elements there. I mean, there's there's so much more you could go into, but, you know, a huge amount of it is still mystery and speculation. And again, the best thing about going deeper and deeper into the folklore and mythology of Ireland and further afield is that stories from the past start to make more and more sense the more you see familiar aspects coming up so with here we have things like the giant animals you know we see more and more things we see a precedent set and it all starts to seem a little less random as it can sometimes feel random and and contradictory you know but uh yeah that's the that's the advantage of just doing more and more of these and to those of you and i know there are plenty of you who have been with us since the beginning or have only listened in that started listening in the last couple of months and are already up to date and I hope that each and every one of you does continue to listen and to enjoy so I will wrap things up there yes we're just about at time now so I really hope you enjoyed part two and indeed part one of Sean Abanoiga this was a this was a challenging one to adapt but really really enjoying really really rewarding and um I think we made the right call splitting it into the two parts and I hope you agree. I hope it didn't feel too disjointed and that you were able to check back in or maybe even that the other one was worth listening to again to catch yourself up. So I want to say a big thank you to Alan, Paddy and Connor here at Headstuff. It is always still wonderful to be back in the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios here in Dublin. 
and uh, I want to thank each. I want to thank Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this, this each and every week. Uh, it couldn't be done without his tireless efforts. And I want to thank each and every one of you again for listening. Uh, please do follow me on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you want to have any suggestions, comments, critiques, or you just want to say hello. Please support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash firesidepodcast. I will see you all next time. You will hear me on when we check back in and we finally meet the Thousand Year King. We are meeting Brian Baru. And until then, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.